Let me run this by my lawyer is a really helpful phrase to have in your back pocket. Legal Shield has been giving legal peace of mind for over 50 years. They connect you to a vetted law firm in your state for an affordable monthly fee. Want an experienced set of eyes on a contract's fine print or you finally want to get that will done? Legal Shield has a dedicated group of lawyers who have your back no matter what the future brings. Sign up today at legalshield.com forward slash iHeart. PPLSI does not provide legal representation or advice. See a plan for complete terms. When you buy Kroger brand products, you feel like you're winning. That's because they offer proven quality at lower than low prices. In fact, we guarantee that you and your family will love how Kroger brand products taste or you get your money back. So next time you're shopping for the family, look for delicious Kroger brand products because they'll make you all feel like you're winning. Shop now, in-store, or online. Kroger, fresh for everyone. It's time for today's Lucky Land Horoscope with Victoria Cash. Life's gotten mundane, so shake up the daily routine and be adventurous with a trip to Lucky Land. You know what they say, your chance to win starts with a spin. So go to LuckyLandSlots.com to play over 100 social casino-style games for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Get lucky today at LuckyLandSlots.com. Available to players in the U.S., excluding Washington and Michigan. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. Live Nation presents Concert Week. Now through May 14th, get $25 tickets to over 5,000 shows. That's up to 75% off a summer full of your favorite artists like 21 Savage, Alanis Morissette, Cage the Elephant, Celeste Barber, Dirk Bentley, Fade, Hootie and the Blowfish, Janet Jackson, Kids Bob Kids, Megan Trainor, Bissell Pluma, Sarah McLaughlin. Get tickets to more than 5,000 summer shows for just $25. Until now through May 14th. Visit LiveNation.com slash Concert to learn more and plan your summer with Sean Paul, Sum 41, 30 Seconds to Mars, oh, and Two Door Cinema Club. Mo Kelly in for John and Ken. And over the course of the week, we have been talking about the issues with Southwest Airlines in recent days and how the federal government has been pointing its finger at Southwest and as far as meeting its obligations and doing better by the American citizenry. And also we played the audio of Secretary of Transportation Pete Buttigieg as far as what he hopes to accomplish. And we want to continue with that conversation right now with ABC News correspondent Andy Field, who joins us from Washington. Andy, good afternoon. How are you doing, sir? I'm good, Mo. Uh, I'm not traveling anywhere. Apparently you're not either. So nope. we're both in better position than most of these folks. Poor folks who are sitting in airports hoping to get home this holiday. Uh, it's It's been a real headache for virtually every passenger who decided to fly southwest this year. Uh, and there's a couple of reasons for that. Uh, one, let's say you flow, if you've ever flown Delta Airlines, odds are that if you had to get someplace and you had to change planes, you ended up in Atlanta. Because That's a hub. They, yep. They're a hub. And hubs work a whole lot better when it snows and there's big flight cancellations than the way Southwest manages to do things, which is get people from city to city to city as fast as they possibly can. And so if you're flying from Burbank to Baltimore, the airport closest to me, uh, you're and you want to get across the country and there's no direct flight, you could end up in Albuquerque or St. Louis and then uh, maybe Nashville and finally get to Baltimore. That's how the flight might go. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's much more efficient for them to pick up and drop off people along the way 
than to fly all the way to Atlanta, drop people off, have them switch planes, and fly back to whatever destination. And it's worked for Southwest for many, many years. It doesn't work very well when we have this big meltdown with snowstorms that cancel flights all all around the country because suddenly those flights that are supposed to go from place to place to place are stuck in places they shouldn't be. So the next day, they're not flying where they're going to go, and they get these massive cancellations, and it takes a long time for them to get that system back in operation. That's number one. Number two, the Pilots Association and the Flight Attendants Association of the airline has said they've been warning Southwest for years that the system of getting people matched up with the plane, the pilots and the flight attendants, is so antiquated that at this point right now, Southwest really doesn't know where all their people are, and they're asking them to call in so they can literally manually reschedule them for flights. All of that has turned this whole thing into a much bigger disaster than it might have been. And they've canceled, I think, upwards of 15,000 flights since the beginning of the holiday. And the CEO says that they may not get back in track until after New Year's. There's Southwest getting back on track in the sense of just conducting business, but there's also dealing with the people who are either, I don't want to say displaced, but they had their flights canceled and you can't necessarily go back and get the Christmas holidays. Do we know what Southwest is planning to do to help make it right with customers? We've asked people to keep receipts for hotels and and reasonable receipts for food and and other transportation that they've been inconvenienced. And it's likely that Southwest will reimburse some of those folks for that thing. They're not going to reimburse you for the lost honeymoon in Mexico that you never got to or the wedding you couldn't get to or the Christmas family. There's no way you can do that with millions of passengers. Uh, What they're required to do through the transportation department is to, if your flight is canceled, to reimburse you the full amount of that flight. Uh, Now, each airline has other things. They have this kind of code of conduct that they're supposed to file with the transportation department and live up to it. Now, this is what Pete Buttigieg is saying, is that if you have not lived up to this code of conduct, you could face some kind of punishment, some federal fines and otherwise, although It's not particularly specific what it is that the Federal Transportation Department can do to the airline. And certainly, uh, you know, passengers could file some kind of class action suit against uh, Southwest for not being prepared for something they should have been. Because at this point, it's way beyond weather. All the other airlines have recovered their weather delays. Southwest is the only one that hasn't. I wondered, though, since you mentioned the other airlines, I was curious to know whether there was any particular airline which is – affirmatively stepped forward and said, hey, Southwest Flyers, Delta Airlines, hypothetically, is here to help you send us your, your, your travel arrangements and we'll see what we can do for a discounted price. Has any airline stepped up to the best of your knowledge? American capped their prices on uh, routes that they have in common with Southwest so that If indeed they have a seat and you present them with a Southwest ticket, they will honor it. And I guess Southwest will have to reimburse United or American. Other than that, I don't know of any other airlines doing it. And, of course, anyone who's traveled knows that if you book something at the last minute, you're going to pay through the nose. And and those flight costs are astronomical. But the bigger problem is, is that everyone wants to travel this week. So there aren't that many free seats to accommodate these thousands of passengers who were stranded. 
at this point, all we can do is wait as a traveler and also just a layperson for Southwest to finally get its act together. We touched upon how Pete Buttigieg, as a representative of the Biden administration, has wagged the finger at Southwest. But my question I asked earlier in the day is, it's one thing to say, hey, Southwest, get your act together now, after saying Southwest, get your act together last year. But is there any, I mean, is there any real consequence to Southwest operating in this sort of way other than bad publicity? Well, I am not Nostradamus, but I can safely predict that you will see some really angry hearings in Congress when they come back about all of this. And what can Congress do to make it so that the American flying public are protected against this and some incentive for airlines to not have systems that seem to be as as off kilter as Southwest so that this kind of thing doesn't happen again in the future? Well, I mean, their stock price has gone down, so there has been a financial consequence to this. But if I'm Southwest and if I can get through this, I mean, honestly, we've seen any number of CEOs go before Congress, get grilled by Congress, and then it's just business as usual after that. There are really no consequences for corporate America. I just wonder if this is not more of the same. I know that's not an answer, a question for you to answer, but that's what I wonder, given that we always see the, the CEOs being paraded before Congress in these televised hearings and nothing really changes. I don't know why this would be different. I think the one instance where that wasn't the case, and that was with the tobacco industry. And uh, they got they got pretty battered, beaten up by Congress a number of years ago. And uh, the tobacco industry is not the same as it was after those hearings and all the regulations and the punishment they faced. But uh, you're right. You know, you, you see Facebook up there and Twitter and, and all the other places becoming human punching bags for Congress. But in the end, it takes a whole lot of votes to get someone to change regulations, rules. And we'll see if it happens. Look, there's no one who's more of a frequent flyer than members of Congress. Right. And they like less than anyone else. Well, we shall see what happens. Andy Field, ABC News, thanks so much for today. Thank you, Bill. This is the John and Ken Show. Blake Trolley will join us with the latest on these L.A. street takeovers and some of the incidents which have been transpiring so that's next kfi am 640 we're live everywhere on the iHeartRadio app by now you may have seen the unfortunate and honestly horrible video taken at an la street takeover in which a young woman died a 24 year old woman and you get to see the moments right after this woman was hit the driver of a car who was doing donuts, donuts, lost control, and then spun into a crowd. And then people in that area tried to uh, accost the driver. I'm not so sure what happened to the driver at this point, but it is, it is a horrible scene. And joining us right now is KFI's own Blake Trolley with more information on this street takeover and also what has happened subsequent to that. Blake, how you doing, sir? Doing well, but yeah, as you mentioned, that video, absolutely horrific. I, I don't even, you know, it's one of those things when you see you're really not ready to see, especially that opening scene. Uh, for those who haven't seen it, I, I what I'm going to do, Mo, is I'm going to play some, some audio right now from Detective Ryan Moreno. He breaks down what police have released. A quick recap of events before we get into this. Uh, there was a street takeover. This was in Hyde Park. This was on Sunday. Uh, cars formed a barricade so that car other cars could do donuts. One of those cars doing donuts, a black Chevy Camaro, clipped a tow truck, 
lost control, then went into a crowd of people. As you mentioned, a 24-year-old woman was killed in this. Uh, now police think several other people, uh, and this is based on the video that we saw, several other people have been injured, including three who they're saying they think are critically injured. Uh, here's Detective Ryan Moreno again breaking down the video that police have released. You're going to see it's about a minute 20 video with about five or six videos in it. The first 10 seconds you're going to see is once the car loses control, comes off and strikes all the pedestrians, what happens is um, you're going to see a male Hispanic. Looks like he's about 18, 20, 20 years old on the ground. And it looks like he's having like a seizure. So I don't know if he sustained some massive head trauma or something, but he's on the ground. You're going to see that. We don't know who this kid is, who this guy is. So we're hoping family, somebody knows who this guy is, because I'm assuming this guy ended up at a hospital somewhere. Um, the next two videos you're going to see back to back are here at the gas station. You're going to see uh, two male Hispanics carrying a third male Hispanic, like shoulder to shoulder. And then they place him inside of a gray, like a Honda or something. Um, he looks like he's injured pretty bad. Um, next, you're going to see a female Hispanic wearing, uh, she's wearing, I think, black and red clothing. They're carrying her. She looks like she's really injured. And they put her in the back of an SUV. Um, from that point, you're going to see the, the scuffle, the fight that happened. Uh, again, the kid that's on the ground that looks, appears to be unconscious, and he's getting punched. Um, we'd like to know who that person is. Um, his family, anybody, you know, come forward with that. And then... Uh, so the woman that he was talking about that was carried, I mean, she, you know, her body is almost limp. They're carrying it into a truck, and, and her body is, is, is almost limp. Now... When he was when he was talking about that brawl footage there, Mo, um, we had asked him what had happened. Um, that was my first question when I looked at all of this video was how did this brawl, how did this fight break out? And what he said is he said it's really common in the in the street racing community for people when they crash a car to get pulled out of the car and beat up. So I said, was that the driver then on the ground that we're seeing get kicked around and get jumped? He said, no. This might have actually been the opposite in this situation. This may have been somebody who pulled the driver out of the car, started beating them up for, for crashing the car. Then other people retaliated against that person. So the person who was attacking the driver then ended up getting jumped. And I asked why, you know, why that might be. Why are the roles reversed in this situation? There are people in this, in this culture, with some of these car clubs that have basically taken on a a gang persona and basically have a gang mentality. Some of these guys that are in these car clubs are basically what you'd say is untouchable. So they can crash and do whatever, but they, you, don't, you don't do that to them. So there you have it there. They're thinking the guy that you saw on the ground there in that video being attacked uh, was actually somebody who attacked the driver. Uh, I do think we're going to see some arrests announced soon. You know, the Camaro that hit the tow truck lost control and hit the crowd was actually left on scene the driver took off on foot so they recovered that car they say that's a huge win for them when trying to locate the driver they did stay really tight-lipped though as to how they've used that camaro to to narrow down a suspect um the tow truck was also recovered by police so that tow truck that they think was was being used as part of the barricade to have this uh to have this street takeover police have also recovered that so i think again here soon we're going to see some uh, some arrests announced. Was this one, to the best of your knowledge, the street takeover? Was it something which was advertised or promoted on social media, or was it just uh, through a small group of people amongst their just maybe cell phones? As far as how they disseminated the information, do we know how it came about? 
I think investigators are trying to figure that out right now. One of the questions that was asked today, though, and this might help, you know, answer that question. One of the one of the concerns that was addressed today is people are saying, well, it took a, a while for police to respond to this. And the way it was described by police is that, it, you know, it sounds like this is almost like a game of whack-a-mole for them. These things just pop up. Um, you know, he was saying these things pop up all over the place. We really don't have a, a lot of we don't really have any good intel on you know, when or where they're going to pop up. So it makes it really hard for them to respond. So it, it sounds like a lot of these things just kind of, you know, with these car clubs, they just kind of randomly start forming these sideshows. To the best of your knowledge, is it safe to say that the car involved in uh, striking the pedestrians that was found on scene was not stolen and likely owned by the driver? I would say yes, only because they're being so tight-lipped as to why, you know, how they're using the car in the investigation. Again, they, 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 you know, as we mentioned, they have the Camaro, they have the tow truck, um, but it was asked, how have you used this Camaro? Have you gone over? Have you talked to the owner? And they said, sorry, you know, at this point in time, we're not going to speak to that. Mm -hmm. And I wonder, since we know that there is like a gang-like feel to this, I can't call them gang members who are participating, but since there's like a gang-like mentality, most likely people are not helping out the police as far as giving information. Yeah, and, and that detective touched on that today, too, saying that a lot of times this makes it really difficult when you're working in these situations. Um, as you heard there, you know, there's a hierarchy system and, uh, you know, very similarly to gangs as well. He says there is a system of people staying tight lipped. It makes it really hard for investigators to do their jobs on these situations. I wonder if the loss of life or the, the injuries here will at least send a message to someone who might have been considering participating or taking place or even just going to view one of these street takeovers. They'll, they'll change their mind in the future because they are so very dangerous. We'll have to wait and see. Blake, thank you so much for your reporting on this. And as you know more, I'm quite sure you'll check in with us and offer us more. Yeah. Mo, one thing I do want to throw sure. in. Do we have a second? Absolutely. Yeah. You know, we are right on the cusp of these street takeovers, um, you know, the punishments for these street takeovers getting much more strict in the state of California. Senate bill passed uh, that essentially allows prosecutors to drop um, uh, felony manslaughter charges on people when these street takeovers get deadly. So the people participating can be charged with felony manslaughter. So that certainly is going to be a tool I think we're going to be seeing used a lot more next year. Blake, thanks so much, sir. Yeah, thanks, Bo. This is the John and Ken Show. KFI AM640. We're live everywhere on the iHeartRadio app. I'm Mo in for John and Ken. I'm Mo Kelly in for John and Ken. You can always find me on Twitter at Mr. Mo Kelly, M-R-M-O-K-E-L-L-Y. As we continue the discussion of these issues, you can find me on Instagram just in case you want to see what I look like. Find some pictures, whatever, at Mr. Mo Kelly. And uh, my personal website, MrMoKelly.com. Before the break, I was speaking to KFI's Blake Trolley about these L.A. street takeovers and this most recent yet unfortunate incident in which a young woman was killed as a, a bystander watching one of these takeovers. Obviously, they're very dangerous, and also Blake told us about there's a propensity for violence as it's adjacent to the gang culture in, in many ways. Now, this is not my generation. I've never had any desire to go to a street takeover. Have I done stupid things? Yes. Have I done dangerous things? Yes. But the idea of watching people do donuts and burnouts and, 
and being in close proximity to it, that wasn't my thing. Now, I will say there was a time in which I did some street racing, not lying, not necessarily proud of that, but yeah, I did do that. So I come to this conversation fully admitting I've done some dumb stuff over the years and I'm not passing judgment over the next generation or next generations also doing dumb stuff. I just want to understand what goes into some of the decision-making behind it. And producer Dana had the opportunity, I wouldn't say to go undercover, but to see at least one of these street takeovers in person. And you're close enough in age where they didn't think that you were uh, like an undercover agent or anything. Did, did they? No. So when I, I mean, I went, I was eat, casually eating tacos, you know, in Compton and all you hear is just screeching. And so my friend and I went over and then it's like this huge crowd comes out of nowhere, surrounds and, you know, the street. And all you see are two cars circling around. So my investigative journalism kicks in and says, you know what, let me do it for Conway. He always talks about not being invited to one. So let me go get some quick footage and, you know, show him that what I saw. So I go and it is the most frightening thing, at least for me. I see like teenagers, kids just hanging out not fearing anything they're just standing there they don't even flinch i'm standing all the way back just in case any car flips over and then you know i'm just thinking the worst but i'm there probably like 40 minutes um no cops nothing no one comes to stop them um so that was interesting to see that okay 40 minutes now describe the intersection for me was it a a large intersection where you had the full complement of lights where you had the standard uh, traffic light and the left turn signal how big was the intersection it was not that big it was standard i mean there was a park so it was on i think it was on atlantic and compton Mm -hmm. um I'm not mistaken, but um, yeah, it was really small. I, I've seen other streets on Long Beach Boulevard and you know Alondra where they have the I, I believe they're called bot bot dots where they bot dots yeah yeah mm-hmm. where they actually are trying to implement some change in the streets of you know in Compton. But as far as that, it was more intimate. So obviously, those bot dots are not going to fit there because it's such a smaller street. But Honestly, the most scariest thing ever. But you, you, you want to watch, but at the same time, you want to close your eyes mm-hmm. because it's just like you don't want anyone to get hurt. But, I mean, I ended up leaving, and the crowd was still there, and then it just gets dispersed. But not because the police showed up or anything, just because it was over. It's a hot spot, so you need to go to the next location. So I actually didn't find it online or anything. I just happened to be there did you talk to anyone who was there did you casually say hey what's going on or who organized this did you have any interaction with anyone no i didn't want to ask i didn't want to you know i went it very low-key undercover type thing um yeah did you did you notice anything about the crowd were they mostly high schoolers did they seem over the age of 18 what did you notice about them they were really young they were so young you know they have it's sad because they were all in the front they didn't even you know they were so close to the cars there you know you would think at least for me i was all the way in the back i was on top of um i don't even know what it was but i was trying to stay away from it and my friend who was in her 30s she didn't want to do have any part of it so i think it's definitely a gen z thing 
um, not a millennial thing. Since you saw that, does it necessarily change for you as far as what you think law enforcement or government officials can or should do? Because from what you said, there was no law enforcement response. I assume, I'm just making an assumption. Someone probably called the police, probably from the way you described it, given how many people were there, but not definitely. Is there anything that we realistically can do about something like this? You know, I'm not sure as far as law enforcement, but I think that it, I was thinking, like, what is it? You know, why are they taking so long? Why are they, you know, they're not here? Because it was pretty loud and it's a residential area. So the fact that they didn't come, I, I'm thinking they're just ignoring it. They're just like, you know, they don't want to deal with it as far as, you know, trying to get rid of these, you know, the cops are there. The, there's literally no one um, stopping it. So I don't know as far, I mean, they're trying to, right, with the bot dots. Um, they're trying to implement some change but as far as actually i think they have to go and and start ticketing did it seem like it was coordinated in other words were there hundreds of people at one time who showed up or was it more of a trickle effect we had maybe 25 30 and then people in the neighborhood realized what was going on and so they decided to join in it was definitely a trickle effect because i seen i i remember watching other people get out of their homes to come in you know and to to participate and look at it. So it definitely turned into something that started off small and then grew in because I also saw other people, you know, um, coming from like a party and then they joined in as well. So definitely grew. So last question, were there only two cars or did other cars kind of drive in and decide, Hey, I want some of this as well. Oh no, it was, it was getting bigger. So there it's interesting because there's cars that wait for their turn. So, um, there was probably like six or seven cars waiting their turn to go next. So they're, you know, waiting for the burnouts. And then afterwards, there was a point in time where there was two cars at the same time going. And I thought this was going to be tragic. This was absolutely, the, you know. Um, so they they organized for sure. And then all you hear in the back at the end of it are these cars getting destroyed. These kids are investing in these cars that their parents probably, you know, had them work for. And No, their parents gave to them. They didn't work for them because it, uh, I'm sorry to jump in there. If you work for those tires and had to pay for those tires and pay for the maintenance on your car, that's the last thing you would be doing with your car. But go ahead. Right. Um, but I, but again, if you want to be a part of something, you know, some be, these kids nowadays, they, they do whatever it takes to, to be included in, and to feel like they're part of the trend or whatever, you know bad is going on but yeah so there was definitely cars destroyed completely you can hear them circling after their burnouts they'll go around the the block and completely destroyed have their cars destroyed incredible dana thanks so much for that no problem this is the john and ken show bo kelly in for john and ken kfi am 640 we are live everywhere on the iHeartRadio app i'm mo kelly in for john and ken and i gotta remind you KFI is giving you a chance to win a two-night stay at Southern California's premier oceanfront destination. I'm talking about Terranea Resort, breathtakingly situated on 102 acres atop the Palos Verdes Peninsula with endless views of the Pacific. Winners will stay in an ocean view suite, play a round of golf for two at the links, and you'll even have dinner at Catalina Kitchen. You can unwind later at Terranea's 
award-winning spa and wellness center, lounge by one of their four ocean view pools, or even dine at one of their eight distinctive on-site restaurants. Go right now to Terranea.com for your chance to win. That's T-E-R-R-A-N-E-A.com. Also, you can visit KFIM 640's Instagram page and enter to win a stay at this luxury resort that's right here at home, yet it feels like a million miles away. Again, to go, go to Terranea.com. Another story I wanted to talk about, and if you have been following me on Twitter, at Mr. Mo Kelly, M-R-M-O-K-E-L-L-Y, I have been following the travails of Twitter and Tesla. I've been making the argument that the fortunes are intertwined. If you've been keeping up with this, you know that Elon Musk has been selling more, has sold more than $23 billion worth of Tesla stock and infusing that cash from it into Twitter to keep Twitter afloat. He has said that publicly. It's not debatable. He said it to staff, news reports about that. So that's not a secret. And I was saying not only does that have a negative impact on Twitter, anytime when you have a, uh, excuse me, on Tesla, anytime that you're selling as a founder or principal investor, selling all sorts of stock of this company that you control, that sends the negative uh, message to investors, it's also not sustainable as a way of funding Twitter. So Twitter is going to have to find a way to fund itself and walk on its own two legs. And Tesla won't be there to be able to help Twitter long-term. But I did make the point, and this was about a month ago, that the fortunes of Tesla and Twitter were going to be intertwined. And just in case you don't know, this is how I feel about Elon Musk. Don't know the guy, have met the guy. I think he's Great for a Twitter presence. In other words, a personality on Twitter. I think he's not helping Twitter gain advertisers. I think that he's making it very difficult for it to turn a profit. Because when you have someone who is as public as Elon Musk making statements, which some would say are controversial, everybody would say are political, it makes advertisers skittish, and it makes it very difficult to grow a business, a, a business which he paid $44 billion for, and he has a debt interest responsibility of $1.2 billion per year. It's not just about cutting costs. He has to generate revenue to pay for Twitter, the $44 billion, not just its operating costs. You know, the, the, like you bought that car for $44 billion, it's fine that you want to not drive it everywhere and you want to save on gas. That's great, but you still have to pay for the car that you bought. And those payments are still coming in in, the, in terms of that debt interest. And he has other investors that he went in with to purchase Twitter. It wasn't all of his money. There were other people that want to recoup their money. And the only way that Twitter can recoup that, that cost of investment is through subscriptions and advertisers. And Elon Musk has made it clear that he does not want to go the advertiser route. He wants people to purchase services through Twitter, be it Twitter Blue or other features which are available on Twitter. I think Elon Musk is a hoot as a tweeter, as he calls himself the chief twit. I like following him. I like what he has to say. I like how he trolls people. But as the CEO of Twitter, 
I don't think it's working for him. I don't think he's having a positive impact on growing that business or turning it into something that's financially profitable. And before you say, well, he's a billionaire. He's been successful at Tesla. He's been successful at SpaceX. Yeah, but he was a venture capitalist. He, he didn't create those ideas. He sort of got in early as an investor and then grew. It wasn't something that was already in existence, and he overpaid an exorbitant amount of money for and then has to quickly turn that around into a profitable business. But my larger point is Twitter and Tesla are tied because of not only Elon Musk, but Elon Musk's behavior. And if you've been watching the stock of Tesla, it has been on an eight-day free fall. In fact, to be specific, it had been on a downward slope for seven consecutive days and then today it went up like maybe a, a dollar or two. But when I first started talking about Twitter, the stock was in the 200s. Now it's like 112, 113. Elon Musk has lost almost, almost half of his fortune just from the devaluation of Tesla alone. That's unsustainable. Is the devaluing of the Tesla stock, is that, you think, directly related to Twitter and his antics there and the failings of being able to make a profit on that? Or is it the Tesla itself has not been selling as much and it has been harder to keep that going while also having Spacelink and also having everything else that Tesla is just suffering because of Tesla? It's a combination of things, and people, I want people to really hear me right now. Tesla is suffering from issues with its China plant. Yes. Tesla is suffering from issues of marketplace dominance that it had a year ago that it doesn't have now because everybody and their mama has an EV, which is respectable, at least in nature. It's not like Tesla is the only game in town. A portion of that is, I would say, uh, Elon Musk's focus on Twitter to the extent that Tesla may be neglected, to the extent that SpaceX may be neglected, to, uh, to the extent that Starlink may be neglected, and there may be some opportunities which are missed. It's not all because of Twitter, and, mm -hmm. and I've never said that, and I've never even thought that, but Twitter plays a role. If, 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 because much of a stock price is about confidence, it's about mm -hmm. where you think a company is going. It's not necessarily what you think about it right now. It's like where you think it'll be in six months. And, and six months. And if you're purchasing stock, you think that that company will be better off in six months than it will be right now. Mm -hmm. And all of the indicators regarding Tesla in terms of its industry, in terms of its specific company dynamics, in terms of how the bad news, which has been coming out regarding Tesla and its self-driving, quote-unquote, cars – how it's discounting EVs to, to the tune of $7,500. All of those things suggest that Tesla is not in a good place. When you combine that with what he, uh, Elon Musk has been saying and behaving on Twitter, it does send the message that Twitter is not necessarily in a good place and his focus is distracted. His, his, his priority is elsewhere that also impacts the Tesla stock price. Now, it's not all Twitter, 
but Tesla won't be there to financially undergird Twitter because you can't keep buying. And also buying, uh, selling your stock, selling your Tesla stock impacts the valuation of Twitter. People have been buying Tesla stock and no, let's say the, the principal investor, Elon Musk, has been selling Tesla stock and that stock has decreased in value, which I would say sends the message that Elon Musk knows that Tesla had hit its peak. Mm. Now, this is speculation on my part, but mm. much of what happens to a stock has to do with speculation. It's not that it's not static in nature where Tesla is $113 today and it's going to be $120 tomorrow because of something that happened. No, it's a reaction to maybe some news which has come out, maybe something that was said in an earnings call. That next earnings call is not until January, I think, but it could be any number of things. Twitter is in that equation. I don't think it's the largest variable in that equation, but the other top Twitter investors have said publicly that they are concerned that Elon Musk is not focusing enough on Tesla, and that's part of the issue why people have lost, hear me, billions and billions of dollars. Which would be why he has announced he is actively looking for a new CEO for Twitter. Well, he's announced that, and if you believe what the gossip is, he's been pressured to do that, short of them, him being removed by the shareholders of Tesla. Gotcha. In other words, like if you don't get Twitter out of the way and under control and at least send the message to our investors at Tesla that you're focusing and available for the needs of Tesla, then we'll push you out. Hmm. So, yeah. Now, you can also argue that whoever Elon Musk hires, with my air quotes, as the new CEO will just be doing the bidding of Elon Musk. But at the same time, I think he tweets too much given his responsibilities elsewhere and how that can negatively impact his own interests. I mean, you know, his own tweeting has impacted his advertising defections. So that can't be argued. And he has to replace that, that uh, revenue somewhere. And as of yet, he has not. I like Elon Musk, the tweeter, you know, he's a great follow. He's interesting. He's funny. He's engaging. He's self-deprecating at times, but I can't point to any evidence that Twitter is doing better than when he bought it financially. And since he's taken it private, we don't get to see any of that information. We're not getting an earnings call. We're not getting a stock price. We're just getting whatever Elon Musk tells us until he all of a sudden says we're going out of business or we're turning this or that type of profit. And it's been pretty opaque. He has not shown us anything. But we do know that he's lost a lot of advertising revenue, and we do know that it's going to be advertising revenue or subscriptions to keep Twitter afloat. And he has said that Twitter was on the verge of bankruptcy, if not for him selling his own Tesla shares. That's not a good sign. And that's what he's saying. And I'll take him at his word. It's the John and Ken show. Mo Kelly here. KFI AM 640. We're live everywhere on the iHeartRadio app. Let me run this by my lawyer is a really helpful phrase to have in your back pocket. Legal Shield has been giving legal peace of mind for over 50 years. They connect you to a vetted law firm in your state for an affordable monthly fee. Want an experienced set of eyes on a contract's fine print? Or you finally want to get that will done? Legal Shield has a dedicated group of lawyers who have your back, no matter what the future brings. Sign up today at LegalShield.com forward slash iHeart. PPLSI does not provide legal representation or advice. See a plan for complete terms.
It's time for today's Lucky Land Horoscope with Victoria Cash. Life's gotten mundane, so shake up the daily routine and be adventurous with a trip to Lucky Land. You know what they say. Your chance to win starts with a spin. So go to LuckyLandSlots.com to play over 100 social casino-style games for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Get lucky today at LuckyLandSlots.com. Available to players in the U.S., excluding Washington and Michigan. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. Live Nation presents Concert Week. Now through May 14th, get $25 tickets to over 5,000 shows. That's up to 75% off a summer full of your favorite artists like 21 Savage, Alanis Morissette, Cage the Elephant, Celeste Barber, Dirk Bentley, Fade, Hootie and the Blowfish, Janet Jackson, Kids Bob Kids, Megan Trainor, Bissell Puma, Sarah McLaughlin. Get tickets to more than 5,000 summer shows for just $25. Until now through May 14th. Visit LiveNation.com slash Concert to learn more and plan your summer with Sean Paul, Sum 41, 30 Seconds from Mars, oh, and Two Door Cinema Club. Open a limited-time 11-month certificate at Kemba Financial Credit Union. At 5.25% APY, it's more than triple the national average, plus it's a safe and secure way to grow your money. Visit your local branch or kemba.org slash cd for details. Offer expires May 31st, 2024. APY equals annual percentage yield. Restrictions apply. $500 minimum and $250,000 maximum deposit. Advantage status required. Comparison based on bank rate average. Federally insured by NCUA. 